Thanks, uh, Kenny. Hello, everyone. Um, my name's Jose. I'm, I'm a part of the church, I think. <laughs> Thanks for letting me come back and visit once in a while. Uh, actually, I've just been gone for five weeks, so it's great to be home in every way, shape, and form. And we're going to continue our series uh, called Words to the Wise. So if you have your Bible, why don't you go to Proverbs 6. We'll spend some time in Proverbs and in Genesis this morning. But just a little bit of an update as you turn to Proverbs uh, 6. We're a church, if you're new here, that's committed to the vision of Jesus and the mission of Jesus, which is both local and global. So thank you again for those who partnered to help make a difference at Liberty. Greg, who's somewhere here, is the principal. He's a part of our community. We just believe that we are here, not just for us and our own consumption, but to be salt and light, to, 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 to do works uh, in our city and to serve. And so thank you for those of you who did it. Those of you who couldn't, we'll c- continue to give you opportunities. But we're also part of the global work. So I was in D.C. five weeks ago, and it was a, a nationwide event, hundreds of thousands of people, and had a chance to share, and then spent three Sundays in Uganda, where we helped plant a church, and we're partnering with ongoing ministries in Uganda. And there was a team of us there, and tens of thousands of people heard the gospel through people in this community, and thousands responded. And when I say thousands, it's not hyperbole. Thousands of people responding to the love and grace of Jesus. And some of us don't see it, and some of us don't experience it. So you may be confused as to, is God really changing people's lives in a big way? It's happening. Uh, Those of you who are friends or follow Andrew Palau, I just saw a photo yesterday. Uh, Andrew's a dear friend and uh, was in Malawi and just, there had to be 100,000 plus people hearing the gospel in one setting. So it's happening. And then went to Estonia and it's a smaller country in the Baltics and we are partnering long-term with uh, a church there that happens to be led by my brother. And so it's been a great five weeks. But according to the philosopher Dorothy, I agree, there's no place like home. All right? Well, that's a little bit of an update. Let's pray and we'll look at something like, I didn't know she was a philosopher. She is. Actually, it's her dog Toto, but that's another story for another day. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the day. We thank you for a month of sunshine and joy. And thank you for all that you're doing, giving us opportunities for rest this summer. We thank you thinking ahead towards the fall and school and all of the opportunities to follow you and be an influence wherever you put us. And God, we want to hear from you today, so I invite you, Holy Spirit of God, to be our teacher, illumine the scriptures so that we'll see what's there and that we'll follow you. Jesus, we want to follow you more closely. Help us to do that. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, we're in this summer-long series called Words of the Wise, and we're trying to live with skill, and if you've just stepped in, let me just remind you, because we read a lot of Proverbs, Proverbs are not promises necessarily. So when I read the Proverbs, what I am reading are words that are going to give me skill to live in the Godward direction, right? So just because I read a proverb doesn't mean cause and effect. If I do this, this will definitely happen. Rather, Proverbs show us how life most often happens. And so what we want to do is enter into a two-week discussion. It was too long to put into one, and I love you enough to send you home, all right? So we're going to look over the next two weeks on one of the most obvious, but maybe untapped into elements of growth in wisdom. 
And it's going to start with Proverbs 6. I want you to turn to verse 16. We'll read it and we'll spend the next two weeks kind of thinking about where this is headed. Proverbs 6.16 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Now, God knows math, so don't get caught up in that. It's a writing style by the author to say, these things are really important. They happen to be seven, not six. Verse 17, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Wisdom is skill for life. In order to live skillfully, I want to avoid the things that God hates, okay? That may seem obvious. Now, are these the only things that God hates? No. Six things he hates, seven things that he detests. It says like these groupings of things are really against God's direction. I know these aren't the only things that he hates because mosquitoes, come on, seriously? Cockroaches, hello. I know he made them, but I'm not a fan. Um, country music, debatable. Debate, I didn't say against, I just said debatable. The verdict's not out yet. But there are some things that God does. <laughs> there are some things that God hates, right? Now, three of the seven have to do with words. I want you to catch that. Three of the seven. A lying tongue, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Three of the seven things that are like top of God's list of, oh, these really are not right, have to do with what we say. Now, I was in Uganda, so we're going to do an exercise because words matter. We're going to spend the next two weeks talking about the power of speech, the power of words, and how we can use them as either a blessing or a curse. But we want to do this together. In Uganda, when you go to school, and, and, and it doesn't matter where you go, there's a deep-seated belief in God, unlike many here in the U.S., and so they're going to start with a phrase that we're going to do together just to get, get you moving in this direction. So stand on your feet, if you would. Because pretend we're in Uganda. It's, this is cheaper than flying there, okay? Just stand on your feet. And so no matter where we were, this is how we started, with a little back and forth. Because in African speaking, it's conversational, unlike here where you just go, mm-hmm. You know, one way talking. So we're going to go two-way. I'm going to say God is good. You're going to say all the time. I'm going to say all the time. You're going to say God is good because that's his nature. Wow. And don't mess up the wow. The wow has to be wow, okay? So we'll go slowly. Let's just do it together. God is good. And all the time. Because that's his nature. Pretty lame on the wow. We'll do it again. God is good. And all the time. Because that's his nature. All right, you can have a seat. Very, very good. Very, very good. Now, no matter where we went, that's the beginning that was the start to the gathering. Now, I want you to catch the context because that sounds like a corny or a little glib little way to start. Most of the places where we went, there's not enough food. Kids are going off one meal, maybe two a day. But God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. That's how the meeting would begin. 
Many of them are not going to finish school for whatever reason, mostly because of lack of resources. Most of them are not going to leave the village or the region where they grew up. Most of them are not going to have any of the opportunities that you and I enjoy. But God is good all of the time. And all of the time, God is good. Why? Because that's his what? It's his nature. And what's our response? Wow. The power of words. So rather than starting with wondering and questioning and doubting, every one of our school assemblies, every one of our meetings started with the baseline reality. There is a God and he has been good to us. And even when my circumstances are bad, I'm not going to doubt the nature of God. Because he is good. I want us to have a two-week discussion on the power of words because sometimes when we look at Proverbs 6 and we look at the things that God loves and the things that God hates, we don't want to find ourselves going against God. Wisdom says God, by his nature, is right. And so wisdom says, I want to get in line with who God is and what God does. So Proverbs 18.21, let's look at that. We'll put it on the screen. Proverbs 18.21 The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Again, Proverbs often have two lines. One line makes a statement, and the other line contrasts or amplifies or clarifies what the first statement says. So, the tongue, what's the statement? The tongue has power. Power to build life, power to bring death. What's the second line, dude? It, it, tells us, it tells us what happens. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love to give words of life will reap the benefit of life-giving words. Those who love to tear people down with words will reap the benefit, which in this case is negative. In other words, words are seeds. Words can feed. Words can grow. Words can flourish. Words can uplift. Words can feed a village, so to speak. But at the same time, words can be toxic. Words can be poisonous. Words can leave people malnourished and hurt. There is life in our words. So what I loved about being in Uganda was it reminded me that it is possible to hold on to life-giving, uplifting words even in the middle of a mess. Now, you and I, on average, speak 16,000 words a day. Sunday, I'm, I'm topping 30,000 for sure because I just talk and talk and talk. 16,000 words a day. So I want to remind you, you have 16,000 opportunities every day to feed, to feed the people around you, to feed the people who work for you, or who are in your cube or in your group to feed your neighbors, to feed those who are under your influence. You are feeding people words every day. The question is, what are we doing with those 16,000 words? Now, this is not a guilt trip because at least a few of our words we want to erase. We all know that. But I want to spend two weeks today just foundation to build a platform because we're probably not all on the same page as to what the scripture teaches about the power of words. Next week, please come back or podcast if you're out of town because it's going to have most of the practical application. All right? For today, three things that we know from scripture about words. Number one, write it down. Words shape reality. Words 
shape what is real. What is real to you has been shaped not by hands, but by words. The way you view the world is through the lens of what you believe. What you believe was received through the power of words, words that you read on a page or words that were spoken to you or words that you just thought up. Your words are shaping your reality. Your perception of yourself is based on words. Do you find yourself to be handsome, beautiful, or this is off, or I wish I could change that? How we got there was not just by looking in the mirror. It was through words. Someone said something. Someone implied something. Someone didn't say something. And our words are shaping how we see the world. Now, this isn't like rocket science. This is basic. But we see it in the beginning. Genesis, and turn to the left if you want. Genesis 1. In the book of Genesis, in the first three chapters, you get how the entire world began. Not just the beginning of creation, but the beginning of the human story. And I want us to catch this. How did things begin? Well, they began with words. Genesis 1, and we'll look at verse 3. Well, Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God created. Okay, so how did he create? Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was what? There was light. God said it. Now, don't get hyper-literal on me. Does God have a physical mouth? Well, God is spirit, right? But the way God revealed how he made is important. And God did not shape the stars and shape the sun. How does God say he created? By speaking. God said there was light and there was light. So sun, moon, stars, all of creation is made by words. That's how the world, so words shape reality. The sun is there because God spoke it into existence. Now don't go crazy on me and say, well, I studied astronomy. Hear me. God began and the beginning began. God spoke it. Now, what about us? Verse 26 of chapter 1. 126, again, this is all foundation just this week. 126, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. So God speaks and we exist and he makes us to rule and to partner with him. All right, great. Uh, just go down two verses to verse 28. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What is our role here on the planet? Genesis tells us the beginning. God created us in his image to rule and to partner with him. So God creates these things and he wants us to take what he made, the, the, the sheer building blocks, and move it in some direction. Now I want to clarify, our words do not have the same power as God's words. He speaks a word and the universe begins. I would say you can't do that. Okay, I, I can't do that. But in the same fashion, the way God made us, he didn't make animals to speak words and partner with him. He made humans to speak words and partner with him. Now, do we get it right? Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Genesis 2. And then the Lord commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from it, you will surely die. 
So God makes the universe. God speaks men into existence. And then God, in his wisdom, says, I want you to partner with me, and here's how. I'm telling you the framework. All of it's yours. Avoid the one, and you'll live in my blessing. Do Adam and Eve listen? Well, Genesis 3. 3, 1. In the middle of the verse, it says, He, the serpent, said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Then jump down to verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I want us to catch this. God speaks, reality exists. God says, I'm going to make man like me. I want them to partner with me. And here's how I want them to partner with me. I'm going to tell you what's allowable. I'm going to tell you what's going to get you off track. But God's voice is not the only voice. And we get that in Genesis 3. There's a serpent. And don't get caught in the word serpent. There's another voice. Another voice is speaking and doubting what God has said. So I want us to catch this. Every day, you are hearing different voices. They are either in alignment with what God has said to be true and real and right, or what someone else has said that's contrary to what God has said. Because the serpent, all he does is say, did God really say that? And we know that Adam and Eve, they did not trust God. They believed something that was not true. And what do we get from this? Again, this is so fundamental, but it's important. That disobedience does not begin with action. Disobedience begins with believing something that's wrong, something that's off. Whenever I go against God, it's not just my action. I could deal with action. Say, just don't do this and don't do that, and it doesn't work. I actually need to transform what I think and how I see the world. And if I am in line with what God has said, chances are my actions will line up with what God has said. If I believe something else, of course it's going to take me in another direction. So Adam and Eve act on what they believe. They believe the serpent is right and that God is keeping something good from them. And so they take and they directly disobey God. All I want us to catch is that words matter. Now here's the good news. God doesn't stop speaking. When you and I get it wrong, it's not like God shuts off the valve of communication and says, good luck. No, he keeps speaking. But notice what he says next. Genesis 3 and verse 16. He says something to the woman and something to the man. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Ouch. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. And then he speaks to Adam. He says, cursed is the ground because of you, in verse 17. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Work is going to be hard. Relationships are going to be hard. When you and I live outside of God's direction, when we, when we disobey, the Bible says when we sin, when we get off track, what's going to happen is God's going to continue to speak, but there's going to be trouble and difficulty. In other words, there is cause and effect. Words matter. Actions matter. And in this case, God says, oh, I love you. I care for you. But it's going to be harder. 
Words create or shape reality. It starts with a word and it leads to action. Some of you are like, where are you going with this, Jose? I'm getting a little nervous. Calm down. Just chill. Two weeks. All right, first thing is word shape reality. Second thing I want us to see from Scripture is that words can be weapons. You see, this is true. What Adam and Eve believe ends up shaping their behavior, and their behavior leads a terrible effect on them and their family after them. Words can be weapons. And for this, we're going to look back at Proverbs, so you can leave Genesis. Go back to Proverbs. We're throwing a lot of it on the screen because we're going to hit at least 20 verses uh, this morning. Words can be weapons. Proverbs 18, verse 8. It says, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Again, we're reading poetry, but catch, catch, catch the visual, catch the point. Words of gossip, they're just like good, good things to eat. Why is it at the, at the supermarket, right at the checkout stand, is all of the gossip? Did you, do you think that just happened? Human nature says, while you're waiting for the checker you know, to do their thing, you might as well catch up on the latest ridiculous statements. And if you're crazy enough, you can buy it, you know? Words of gossip are like choice morsels. There are, why is it that bad news spreads much faster than good news? Why is it that something negative about someone is more like exciting to hear than something good? It's like choice morsels. It's in our nature. They go down, words go down to the inmost parts. That's part of the negative parts of words is that they can be used as weapons. Proverbs 11, verse 9, another example. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. Notice the contrast. Mouths, godless, destroy. That's not God's intention. Godless. Words can be used as weapons. That's not God's design. And who gets affected? The neighbor, the person closest to them. Can me state the obvious? You can do the most damage to the people closest to you with your words. If you say something against me, let's just say you're new here, we met uh, this week or a couple weeks ago or whatever, and you're like, man, Jose, you're pretty lame. Now, I don't know you well. I, I know my human nature. I'm very self-confident. It's going to go right off my back. Who cares? But if my kids were to say to me, Dad, you're really lame. That's a different story. We have the greatest impact to bless or hurt those that are closest to us. That's why words are so important. They can be used as weapons, but that's not God's intention. The godless destroy, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. It clarifies. We don't have to live like the godless. Now, let me tell you what I know to be true. You can love Jesus, read the Bible, pray, go to church, give, and have a destructive mouth. And all of those can be true at the same time. Just because we love Jesus, just because we follow him, does not mean that we're living like the righteous. If we're not careful, and this is the warning part, we will live like the godless, but we love God, so don't live like the godless. And the godless are tearing down their neighbor with their words. Ouch. Now again, we want to be wise. We want to learn from this. We won't want to live this way. Words can be used to destroy. Words can be used to build up. So the warning here is don't live like the godless. 
through knowledge the righteous escape. In other words, if I'm not aware of what I'm saying, if I'm not aware of the impact of my words, then I'll shoot them flippantly, not thinking about the consequence. Oh, by the way, the godless do that. Those of us who know and love Jesus should live a different way. This isn't legalism. This is just wisdom. Now, I know this from experience. When I was growing up, I'm the second of uh, four kids. I have an older brother, Miguel, younger brother, Raphael, and uh, a younger sister, Raquel. And my brother and I are only 18 months apart. So growing up, everything was competitive. You know, we shared a room our entire life growing up. And being 18 months younger, I was convinced I'm better. It's just, it's part of the DNA of being the second born. And so uh, one time someone made a comment, because I, I could run fairly fast. We were playing some sport in the street, and some kid said to my brother, he said, hey, get the lead out. You ever hear that phrase? Like, get the lead out. They're saying that he's full of lead, a.k.a. he's slow. And that was really hurtful. But being 18 months younger and very evil, I just picked up on the phrase. And all I have to do is when we're running and doing it, I think, hey, lead, hurry up. And that one, I knew his buttons and I could push those buttons. All I would have to say is the word lead and it would evoke all sorts of things. And then he'd usually punch me and it's over. Because he wouldn't, but he's much stronger. But I could run faster. And lead. One word that was destructive. Now, fortunately, I'm starting to grow up. I found that when, when we hit college age, I would do it even worse I was probably the most venomous younger brother there could be. But by the grace of God, we just spent three and a half weeks together. It's the first time we've been together that long since we were both in high school because we all went off and did, you know, different things. But there were no words to tear down. What we found ourselves doing was just building each other up. Over time, maturity can come. And I'm hopefully not as foolish as I was when I was a kid. And the challenge of being a word person, which I've always been, is they can be used as a blessing or as a weapon. And so I have to be careful. As a matter of fact, we're going to learn next week that James tells the church, most of you shouldn't be teachers. You shouldn't aspire to be a teacher in the church. Here's why. You're going to be held accountable for every word because your words can bless the church or your words can pull people down. Words. Words can be used as a weapon. And because people that are closest are the most hurt, I need to be careful. You need to be careful. As a community, we need to be careful about what we say. Okay, that's the negative. Now that you're fully convicted, because I can see it in your eyes, like, man, I hate this church. Um, A word of hope. Third thing. So words shape reality. Words can be used as weapons. But the other part is true. Words can bring healing. This is the good news. Yes, words can tear down, but those same phrases... The same syllables, the same letters in the alphabet can be used to build up. Proverbs 12, 18. Words can bring healing. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings what? Healing. We can take words and use them to build people up. Now, I don't like knives. It says the words of the reckless pierce like swords. Two reasons why I hate knives. Number one, when I was eight years old, living in New York, I was mugged by knife point. Words matter. When a kid comes up to you and with a knife says, give me your watch, that's not a suggestion. And so I've always had this thing, I just don't, if you're playing with a knife, why? What's wrong with you? 
because knives are dangerous, in my view. Second thing, we had our neighbor when we were teens. My brother and I were over at our neighbor's house, Mark, and it was, the, it was the era of Bruce Lee. So I mean, just Google Bruce Lee. And everything was, you know, kung fu this, and we were all doing the moves. And for some reason, Mark was doing it with a knife, slips out of his hand, nicks my brother in the forehead. I'm standing right there. Freaked me out. Could have taken his eye out. Needless to say, I'm not a fan of knives. Can I just remind you what God has told us? The words of the reckless are like a knife. But the tongue of the wise brings what? Healing. Now, knives pierce. And haven't you found that to be true? Why is it that no matter how much education we have, the word of a parent, a friend, a teacher, a neighbor, or a fool can shape who we are? And no matter how much I tell you to shake it, it's, it seems impossible to shake the words of someone spoken 20 or 30 years ago. It's because they're like a knife. The good news is that in Jesus, and because we're wise, we're growing in wisdom, we don't have to live that way. We can use words to build people up. Another proverb, Proverbs 12, 25, says, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. You could have a full bank account, all is well on the outside, but your entire world can be rocked by this thing called anxiety. Full bank account, nice relationship, all is well, but in your mind, if things are not well and you have angst inside, it can weigh down everything. But notice, notice the end of the phrase, a kind word can cheer up the heart. You never know, something that you say, something that you remind someone of can take their anxious heart and help see that evaporate. You know, someone's entire day, entire week can be changed through the power of a word. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, should be the greatest example of taking people who are filled with anxiety and by God's grace, using that to set them free. So what do you do? It's a simple, start with social media. I just started, not, I mean a while ago now, peppering whatever I do on Twitter or Facebook. In the morning when I read the Bible, if something comes to mind that really like hits my soul, it's a simple, I, I read it off my Bible app, version, and as simple as pressing it, copy and paste. And I'll reflect later on as I look and someone will say, man, that hit me today. I don't even know them. But a kind word a cheerful word, a God-given word can take anxiety and be part of the cure. You and I have that power. Do this as a self-assessment. Look at your social media feed and just look at the words you're using right now. How much of what you're saying in the public sphere, is oh, it's my page. Well, it's a reflection of your heart. How much of it is positive? How much of it is encouraging? How much of it is meant to build someone up? How much of it is critical? How much of it is finger pointing? And in an election season, by God's grace, can we, the people of God, be a little more mature in the way that we use words? Whatever your candidate, whatever your position, whatever your party, whatever your whatever, we should be the people who don't lead to anxiety, but bring a cheerful word. One, one more proverb, finally. Proverbs 16, 24. Grace, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. 
Notice the metaphor. Uh, we had cornbread yesterday for dinner, and I love cornbread, but it's dry. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. And unless you douse it with tons of sugar, it's not hyper sweet, but you take honey on cornbread, and oh my gosh, I just made you hungry. Power of words. And, and you just pour it on there in that bite. And what is it? It's good, it's good to the bones. It's sweet to the soul. It's just, it's just right. And what, what the writer of the Proverbs is saying is godly words, good words, kind words are like a honeycomb. And they take a dry and dusty or difficult and pain-filled day and you could give strength all the way. The bones means to the deepest level, Right? You got to think in terms of poetry. The point is that words aren't honey. They're like honey. They're sweet and they're nourishing and they're right. Why is it that it's easier to be abrasive than gracious with comments? Why, why is it that we, when I say we, I mean us, why is it that we go dark so fast? Why is it that if there are 10 things to say, most of them, I think part of it is we feel better when someone else doesn't feel as good. I'm a little more validated if I push you down. I'm a little more important if you're a little less. Now, we wouldn't say that because we love Jesus. But we live that way. Friends, wisdom. Let's grow in wisdom and, and use our words wisely. Because the truth is, we're all a mixed bag, right? Every one of us needs gracious words. Every one of us needs a little bit of encouragement. Every one of us needs a little pep talk from time to time. Every one of us has something good about us that if you can tap into that good, now we all have challenges too. I'm not saying, because I'm mean like, Jose, well, that's just masking the truth. That's just being like American and pro-bubbly and, you know, glass is half full. Can I just tell you, even if it's mostly dry, the glass is half full because there is some good in that person. And if I, I can tap into what is good and elevate what's good on the inside, maybe their anxious heart can be healed. Maybe even though it's, it's negative and true, maybe I don't have to keep talking about it. Maybe I want to treat people, novel idea, like I want to be treated. Who wants to be berated with words? Who wants to be put down? Maybe in order to receive that kind of love, I could be the one giving it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just crazy. Well, next week we want to look. This is all Genesis, wisdom, Proverbs. Next week I want to look at Jesus and Paul and James and the New Testament writers because the funny thing is Jesus picks up on the Proverbs and he's going to show us the way to live this out in a community. But for today, I want to land with two things that you could do. Please don't miss next week because a lot of the application I'm saving for next Sunday. But two things that I can do with my words right now, every one of us. Number one, consider the tone. Consider your tone. Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word does what? It stirs up anger. There's more than one way to speak the truth. Would you agree? It is possible to say the right thing with the wrong tone. For me, it's very clear. When my vein is popping, I'm, I'm a little too heated. So all my wife has to do is remind me, like, your little vein. And I have this vein that just, when I get riled up, my whole neck tenses up and I pop a vein. 
Well, there's, there's two ways to do it. I can, I can have a gentle answer, and what does that do? It pushes wrath away, but a harsh word is going to stir it up. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth. Can I just suggest, though, tone matters. Secondly, consider your timing. Your timing matters. Not only does the way I say it matter, but the timing. Proverbs 10, 19. Sin is not ended by multiplying words. That's the NIV. The NIV former version, 1984, said, when words are many, sin is not absent. Ouch. In other words, the more you talk, the more your foot founds, finds a way to kick your teeth. The more I speak, doesn't mean it's going to make it better. Timing matters, but the prudent does what? Hold their tongue. I'm going to suggest we should, we should recapture the power of silence. Sometimes the best thing that I can do to build someone up is to tighten my lips and pause. Just try it this week. If you can have a response and you feel like you're a little antsy about it, and I need to, you know, I need to say this. They need to hear this. Wait five minutes. Clock it. You got a phone. Just five minutes. I can almost guarantee the tone will change. Sometimes I'm just waiting five minutes because the way I say it, the tone, and when I say it, the timing can build up or tear down. Five minutes can save you and your friend. Fifteen minutes can save you whatever on Geico, but that's another story. <laughs> five minutes. Can, now I got you stuck on the Geico gecko. Words have power. 16,000 words a day. The question is, how are we going to use them today? We have lots of opportunity this week to tear up, tear down, or to build up. So as we transition and we think about, okay, now, obviously we've all hurt through words, and obviously we've all been hurt by words. Before we build on what Jesus said next week, let's look at today. Two questions that could kind of frame us now as we go to the table and the bread and the cup and respond in worship. Number one, what words need to be broken over your life? I'm, I'm going to remind you of what you already know to be true. There have been words that have been spoken about you that are actually not true. They're not true. And even if they're part of reality, they're not the truest thing about you. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, th this is this is absolutely true. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new what? Has come. There is what you were before encountering Jesus. That is gone. Now you say, well, I did it, but it's been forgiven. Well, I was that way. But now you have to factor in that Jesus is working in and through you. You're actually a different person. Same flesh and blood, same personality temperament, same sin tendencies. But now you have to factor in the creator has entered into your story. So I can say to you with confidence, if you are in Jesus, the truest thing about you is what God has said about you. Well, you, Jose, you don't understand. I am like this. The truest thing about you is what God has said about you. Like Adam and Eve. We sit at the crossroads to say, who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe what God has said about me? Am I going to believe 
what this other voice is saying about me. And so some of us this morning, by the Holy Spirit, and here's the cool part, I cannot customize this for you, but God can. Because God knows what word is messing you up. What statement, what experience, what memory is tearing you down. But God can break the power that that has over your life. Because he has a truer word. Second question is similar. What word needs to be spoken into your life? It's the second part of that equation. It's not enough to break the power of something that's wrong. But like Jim was teaching last week, we need to replace it with something that's right. What do you need to hear that's true about you? At the base level, God may have something specific to say to you this morning, but I can say this with confidence. You are loved by God. You are loved by God. That is true about you. Well, how, how do I know that? God loved you so much that he sent his son. The reason we go to the bread and cup every week is to remind ourselves of the love of God. God loved you so much that he gave his very self. He came into the human story in the person of Jesus to bring us back to life so that everyone who trusts in him will not perish but receive life that leads to life that leads to life. You are loved by God. You are valuable in God's sight just because he made you. You're intrinsically valuable. Now, some of us have a hard time receiving that. I'll admit it. Because we've been told and fed a lie so much that it's hard to receive what's true. But today, and I pray this season of our church and of your world, that you will begin to let God break and demolish the things that are off that are controlling your behavior, and he will replace it with words of life. Wouldn't that be cool? I pray that God will do it even now. So here's what we're gonna do. Worship is our response to who God is and what God has done. So worship involves singing, but worship isn't like a station or a music genre. Worship is my wholehearted response to what I know about God and what God has done. So I want us to worship by inviting the Spirit of God to come and break the power of words that are controlling our behavior and turning us in a direction that is not Godward and invite the Holy Spirit to speak words of life to us. What may happen is in the next couple of moments, a Bible verse may come to your mind. That's how God usually speaks to me. It's not, Jose. It's usually a a Bible verse that I read and I totally forgot comes back to my mind. I'm like, man, that's right. I need to think about that. We're going to invite the Spirit of God to apply the Word of God into our life. Can we do that? So put your notebook or your phone away. If it's helpful to have your Bible open because you want to turn to a verse that maybe God reminded you about, that's totally cool. But as a response of worship, we actually want to give time to allow God to begin to apply this to our story. So I'll frame out the two questions again and invite you to invite God into that. What words need to be broken? Ask God in this moment, God, what what is it that I am believing that's not true or not the most true? And and God, where is it misdirecting me? God, I I wanna be in your direction, help me. And the second thing is what, what word needs to be spoken into your life? What do you need to be reminded of? 
And the Holy Spirit's big enough to do it for every one of us that asks. So let's do that. We're just gonna play. We're just gonna chill. And I, I do this as a sign of posture. I open my hands because when my arms are closed, it says, uh-uh, get away. My arms are open. My mind is open. And just invite God in his goodness to speak to you and ask him what words need to be broken or what words need to be poured into. Ask him to do that now. And then in a bit, Brandon will sing and guide us in worship.